In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time a prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. This Sunday, the Church celebrates the first Sunday of Lent. And in her wisdom, the Church puts before us a scene in the Gospel which helps us so much to pray about the season in our Lord's presence. And it's the scene of our of our Lord's 40 days spent in the wilderness fasting, which ends with his confrontation with Satan, with the devil, in which he's tempted. This year we read this scene from the Gospel of St. Mark. The Spirit drove Jesus out into the desert, and he remained in the desert for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. I've always found this fascinating, this detail that Jesus goes out into the desert to be tempted by Satan, driven by the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit which leads Jesus into the desert for these 40 days and for this time of testing, of, of temptation. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, we have a similar formulation that the Spirit is the one who moves Jesus to get into the situation. It's the one who moves Jesus out into the wilderness for these 40 days. This is from the Gospel of Matthew. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. And so Jesus, as we begin this time of Lent, as we begin these 40 days of prayer and discipline and charity, help us to reflect on on you as, as our model. We have these 40 days, Lord, precisely because you spent 40 days fasting in the desert. You spent 40 days praying to prepare yourself for your public ministry, to prepare yourself before that for this temptation that you underwent from Satan. And why the desert? Why does our Lord go into the desert? And why is Lent like a desert for us? Why should it be like a desert? Well, if we think about a a desert, and if we've ever been there, spent any time in a deserted place, especially a literal desert, we realize that it's a place free of distractions. In the desert, there's only the bare minimum needed to stay alive. There's just enough food, or perhaps a little less than enough to be healthy. There's just enough water. There are no distractions, unless you can get distracted by a couple of cactus and and some tumbleweed. And so you have to face yourself and face God. There's nowhere to run. You're alone with yourself. 
and you're alone with God. And so in that situation of a desert, it's, it's easier to see the one thing necessary. To see how important God is and how important our relationship with God is. And it's easier to see, even though we many times we don't want to see it, to see what our real situation is. To see what we're like in God's sight. To see the real state of our soul. And we're afraid to face ourselves, and so usually we get into distractions of different sorts. We stay busy with work or activity. We numb our minds by using different outlets excessively. And the desert is a place where we leave those things behind so that we can face God and face ourselves. And so Lent is a time for us to create in our own life a kind of desert to remove distractions, to remove the surplus of material goods so that we can be alone with God, so that we can pray better, so that we can face the music. In the desert, there's no Netflix. In the desert, there's no Instagram. In the desert, certainly, there's no TikTok. There shouldn't be TikTok anywhere in existence, but that's a, that's another story. In the desert, we can pray. We face ourselves and we face our God. So Jesus, as you entered into the desert to be close to God, to fast and pray, to get ready for this battle of your public life, this battle with the devil before your public life. Help us to enter into our own desert, to remove distractions for these 40 days so that we can pray, so that we can focus on what's essential. Jesus, you're led by the Spirit to be tempted. And that's very deep and very paradoxical because we we usually think of temptation as something bad. And it is something bad. In our normal experience, temptation is the prelude to sin, or at least the prelude to a possible sin. And so we, we associate temptation with sin, with evil. It's our tendency to evil since we're fallen. And even our Lord Jesus Christ, who lets himself be led by the Spirit in, in the desert to be tempted by the devil, who's driven by the Spirit into this situation of temptation, he tells us in the Our Father to pray, lead us not into temptation. And so temptation has this negative side to it because of its connection with sin. And so we ask ourselves, well, why does this Holy Spirit, who is obviously good, who is God, the Holy Spirit, who is Jesus' own spirit, spirit of God, why does he lead Jesus into temptation? if temptation has this association with evil, with sin. And here, as in many other instances, it's very important for us to realize that the Greek of the New Testament is very rich. And the word for temptation in Greek has has more than one meaning. The word is paraizo. And it's a verb. It means to make proof of, to attempt, to test, and to tempt. And so, so to be tempted in the, in the language of the New Testament 
is also to be tested or to undergo a proof or to be proven. And that is not just negative, of course. That's something very positive. That if we don't have tests in life, if we don't have challenges in life, then we never grow. And if we don't have serious tests of our skills, of our abilities, of our virtue, then we don't know the worth of it. We can't measure the worth of something unless unless we put it to a test, unless we really try it out and, and try to stretch its capacity to see just how good it is, just how valuable it is. It's like if you have a if you have a expensive sports car. Well, you're not going to know what is really capable of unless you take it out and really open it up on the highway and risk perhaps getting a speeding ticket or a reckless endangerment ticket. I'm not saying you should do this, but it's just it's it's an example. If you had like a Lamborghini and just kept it in your garage, what would be the point? What would be the point if you never really tested it, if you never really got it on the road to see what it's capable of? Well, spiritually, we're in the same situation that God has given us a great capacity to love, a great capacity to trust, a great capacity to overcome ourselves, a great capacity even to suffer in order to love, to sacrifice, to give ourselves. We're like spiritual Lamborghinis. But unless we're put to the test, well, there's no way to show that that we can actually do it or that we're actually willing to do it. Unless we have spiritual challenges, spiritual trials, we're like the Lamborghini in the garage. Well, maybe it's fast, maybe it's not. Who knows? And so a test is an opportunity for failure, but without that opportunity for failure, without that opportunity for coming up short, you don't have the opportunity to excel either. You don't have the opportunity to prove your, to prove your, your worth. St. John Chrysostom has a wonderful homily in which he comments on this, on this scene of our Lord being tested, being tempted by the devil. And he gives, he gives um, five reasons why temptations are good for us. Five reasons why it's good that we're tested by temptation. This is the reason you received arms, not to stand at ease, but to fight. And so basically he's saying, well, why is our Lord tempted in the, de- in, in, in the desert? And he says, our Lord is tempted in the desert to show us that temptation is good, to show us that it's okay to be tempted, to be tested by sin, to be tested by the devil. And he, note, he notes, he says, this happens right after our Lord's baptism. So after our Lord's baptism, he immediately is driven into the, into the desert by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. This is the reason you received arms, not to stand at ease, but to fight. And God will not prevent temptations from rushing against you. And then here's our blog post, right? <laughs> the five reasons that temptations are allowed and temptations are good. And this, first of all, that you may learn how stronger you are now than before. And so our Lord allows us temptations to show ourselves and to show him that we're strong, that we can resist them, that we willingly want to be good, that we say no to, to, to sin in order to love him, to be faithful to him. 
Then, the second reason, then so that you may learn prudence, so as not to be overbold because of the greatness of the gifts you have received, for temptation will steady you. And so our Lord tells us, as we mentioned before, in, in the Our Father, Lord, you teach us, you say, to pray, lead us not into temptation. Our Lord doesn't want us to be reckless, to put us to put ourselves in occasions of sin or occasions of temptation recklessly or unnecessarily. And so the experience of being of being tempted, of being tested, is a humbling experience. We we realize that we're capable of failing the test, we're capable of sinning. And so it makes us prudent, it makes us plan wisely to plan out the battle, to avoid pitfalls whenever whenever necessary. Thirdly, so that the evil demon, who is uncertain whether you have renounced him or not, may not be left in doubt through this test of temptation that you have abandoned him and wholly renounced him. This third one is my favorite of this list of St. John Chrysostom. He's basically saying that, uh, that God allows us to be tempted so we can help the devil not worry about what side that we're on. And so the devil looks at us and kind of wonders, well, she's Catholic and, and she's in the state of grace and she, you know, Christ has died for her and, and his redemption has been applied to her soul. She's now a daughter of God. But let's see if she's really loyal to him. Let's see if she's really abandoned me and abandoned sin. And so in his doubt, he comes and tests us. And that test becomes an opportunity for us to, in a certain way, help the devil not to remain in doubt. To say, no, I am on the Lord's side. Get behind me, Satan, as our Lord says later in the same passage. Fourthly, that you may become stronger and more tempered than steel. Temptation, testing, is an opportunity to grow in virtue. It's something positive. It's it's a challenge that strengthens our will, strengthens our love, strengthens our trust in God. It's like taking the car out and really letting it run. It's like having a, a racehorse that we don't pamper, but we train and we put it on a diet to make it strong and disciplined. And we get it a trainer so that it becomes the best possible horse so that it develops all of its potencies and capabilities to fulfill its nature more perfectly. And this is what happens when we are tested, when we challenge ourselves and, and when God lets us be challenged by our circumstances, by our weaknesses, and even perhaps by the devil. And fifthly, that you may receive a kind of indication of how precious is the treasure you have been given. For the devil would not have attacked you had he not seen you now held in honor. When we're tempted, John Chrysostom is saying here, we realize that we have a great treasure that the devil and our sinfulness wants us to lose. That we have this treasure of being a son of God, a daughter of God. We have the treasure of God's grace in our soul, God dwelling in our soul. And because of this, the devil says, well, 
Let's make him lose that. Let's make her lose that treasure. For the devil would not have attacked you had he not seen you now held in honor. It was because of this that he attacked Adam, because he saw he was given great dignity. For this reason he attacked Job, because he saw him raised up and honored by the God of all. It was because of this that he himself says, Pray that you enter not into temptation. Thank you, Lord, for for this test. Our Lord fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards the gospel tells us he was hungry. Lord Jesus, you fast for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards you're hungry. If we only really fast on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, that's just two days, two days out of 40. We miss a real opportunity. St. Josemaria writes in the way, A strict fast is a penance most pleasing to God. But what, with one thing and another, we have become a bit too easygoing. There is no objection, on the contrary, if you, with the approval of your director, fast frequently. Lord, help us to feel the pinch of Lent without compromising our health and perhaps consulting someone in spiritual direction or in confession. Lord, help me to figure out if if I should fast a little bit more. To skip a meal or even two meals on some other days. Lord, help me to have a plan to really deny myself as you did in the desert. And our Lord's fasting in the desert is is tied to his being tested. At the end of those 40 days, our Lord is hungry. The tempter approached him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. And so the devil sees our Lord's human nature hungering after this time of prayer and fasting. He sees the hunger of our Lord and says, well, that's a weak spot. Let's see if we can get in there. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. He said in reply, it is written, one does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Lord, what a helpful image Our Lord Jesus Christ, you are the word of God. All your words, Lord, are spirit and life. And you're telling us here, Lord, that we should live on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. We should live on the word of God for us. And to live for something, to live on something, is to have that thing precisely what motivates us, what nourishes us, the very reason, the very reason for our acting, and our being. Lord, I want to live on the Word of God. And this is the part of the point of fasting. This is the part of point, the part of the point, of denying ourselves food, and denying ourselves entertainment, fasting from distractions. What's the point? Well, that physical hunger or that absence of our usual distractions, that absence of our usual entertainments awakens in us a a hunger for God. It's kind of a reflection or a reminder of what our souls really want. 
what our souls really are thirsting for, hungering for, which is which is God and God's <laughs> and God's will. Saint Saint Augustine famously puts it right: "Our hearts are restless, Lord, until they rest in you." The whole quote is even more powerful: "Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you." Lent, seen in this light, in the light of our restless heart, is an opportunity to give our hearts more peace. Our hearts are restless, Lord, because they're trying to rest in other things. They're trying to rest in food. They're trying to rest in entertainment. They're trying to rest in work. They're trying to rest in distraction. And all of that trying to rest in other places leads to a great agitation, a great restlessness great lack of peace. And in Lent, we create this desert in which we detach ourselves from our usual ways of resting, our usual ways of of eating, our usual ways of spending our time as, as a discipline to detach ourselves from those usual places that we try to rest our heart so that we give ourselves a chance to find the true rest for our heart which is in which is in you, Lord, which is in prayer, which is in God's will. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. This is the food that truly will satisfy us. The words of God, God's love for us. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand on the parapet of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and with their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The devil here is very cunning. He quotes scripture, he quotes Psalm 91 as part of his temptation of our Lord. This teaches us that we have to be careful in our own interpretation of Scripture. We have to be careful in our own discerning of God's will. Because, because, just because something is said in Scripture doesn't mean we're understanding it right, doesn't mean we're using it right, doesn't mean it can't be hurtful for us if it's taken out of context and, and interpreted and used in the wrong way. Even the devil can use sacred Scripture to try to test Jesus, to try to test God. Certainly he can use it to test us. Certainly our own sinfulness can twist, can twist sacred scripture to our disadvantage. And so what do we need? We need humility. We need humility. We need docility to rend our judgment to the judgment of the church, to the judgment of the saints, to the judgment of a trusted spiritual director. The insights we get in prayer, the insights that we get in reading scripture, we should we should always um, test. We're grateful to God for those insights, and usually they're helpful. But we should always have have some way of checking them against the judgment of the church and the judgment of, of others. Then the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their magnificence. And he said to him, All these I shall give to you if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. At this, Jesus said to him, Get behind me, Satan. It is written, 
The Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. There's a mountain that overlooks the beautiful city of Barcelona. And if you've never been to Barcelona, you should go if you can. It's just a gorgeous, it's a gorgeous city. I lived there for six months, a number of years ago now. And there's this, there's a church built on this, um, this mountain which overlooks Barcelona and, and the, the name of the site is called Tibidabo. And there's a, there's a statue of Jesus that overlooks the, um, that overlooks the city, the port. It's kind of like the statue, the famous statue of Jesus overlooking Rio de Janeiro. And Tibidabo means, I give to you. And so basically, it's it's a translation of, and an abbreviation of this temptation of the devil. The devil takes Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple and shows him the glory of the world, all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil says to him, all these I shall give to you, Tibidabo, I will give to you. All these I shall give to you if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. People from Barcelona with a understandable civic pride, when they read this passage, they think, oh, he really must have taken Jesus up to the top of this mountain, which overlooks, which overlooks our beautiful city. What is the lesson here? Detachment, detachment from the world. Lord, help me to be detached from the world, the pride of life, to be detached from my own achievements, to be detached from my own reputation, to be detached from my possessions, to be detached from everything, Lord, that's not you. I need to, I need to love all of that, but to put you first. The Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. Lord Jesus, to see you tempted in a way is very comforting for us. It's very helpful, Lord, to see that you had to decide to do what's right, and that there were influences in your life trying to get you to go the other way. Why is it helpful? Because sometimes... Lord, we think that temptation is not something we should experience. In our pride, Lord, perhaps in our fear of sin, which can be exaggerated at times because of our pride, we might think, well, I'm, you know, I'm tempted by this and, and I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be the kind of person who gets angry so easily, tempted to a lack of charity because of my feelings, my emotions of anger. I shouldn't be the kind of person who who wants to be so lazy, who loves comfort so much. I can't stand that about myself. Why do I love to eat so much? Or why am I attracted to these things that are impure? What's wrong with me? And the answer is, nothing is wrong with you. Join the, join the club. Everyone's tempted. We're all fallen. We all need salvation. We all need to fight to say yes to God, to say yes to God's will. And what our Lord will judge is not our feelings, not our emotions, not the things that push us or pull us in this way or that, but he'll judge our choices and he'll judge the habits and attitudes of heart and of mind and of will that we make with our choices. So temptations really really don't matter. They're just, they're they're occasions to 
There are occasions to love to shape our personality according to the pattern of Christ. To say no to ourselves, to say no to sin, and to say, to say yes to God. But sometimes, again, because because we think, oh, I should be better than this. Oh, I'm really messed up. Why, you know, why am I attracted to that or this? Why do I have this problem? We get scrupulous. We get complicated about temptation. Our Lord was tempted. Mary was tempted. Being tempted is a normal part of being a human being, whether you're fallen or not. So, Lord, help me to see temptation in a new light. The problem is not being tempted. The problem is, what do I do with temptation? And sometimes we put the cart before the horse, so to speak. We focus too much on how we want to feel about things. We focus too much on our emotions, how we're feeling about things. And what our Lord really cares about is, How we choose to be, how we choose to act, how we choose to correspond to his grace. And it's a beautiful thing that every no that we say to sin, every no that we say to temptation is a yes to God, is a yes to true life, is a yes to charity, is a yes to faith, is a yes to trust. And so sometimes we think of Catholic morality as super negative. I can't drink too much and I can't. I can't uh, engage in the, in, in the same pleasures as other people because the church says it's sinful and I, and I have to go to Mass on Sunday so I can't just golf all Sunday and I have to say no to this, no to that, no to the other thing. But all those no's are, are predicated upon a yes. Behind every no, there's a yes. There's a yes to true life. There's a yes to God. There's a yes to, to my own holiness. There's a yes to my own greatness. They're all challenges to get my Ferrari out of the garage and onto the street, onto the highway, and with God's grace to open it up. We go to Our Lady. Like Our Lord, Our Lady was also tested. Tested in a special way, of course, at the foot of the cross. And so we go to her and we ask her, help us to truly enter into the desert of Lent, to make these 40 days a time of greater isolation so that we can be alone with God and then ready ourselves for the challenge of life and for the challenge, especially of Good Friday. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.